Hello, I'm Jonathan Cross, and you're listening to a series of Boozy and Hawks podcasts marking the 50th anniversary of the death of Igor Stravinsky, one of the 20th century's most important composers. Episode 2, Stravinsky and the Stage. I don't think it's an exaggeration to claim that Stravinsky reinvented dance for the 20th century. There's no doubting he had the imagination to take the conventionalised forms of 19th century classical ballet that he'd inherited from the likes of Tchaikovsky and to turn them into something totally modern. How this came about, though, was in a sense accidental. The Russian impresario Sergei Diaghilev had invited the young and essentially untested Igor Stravinsky to write the music for the brand-new ballet, The Firebird, really out of desperation when a string of more senior figures had turned him down. And even though Stravinsky had to adapt his work to a scenario that had already been developed by the choreographer Mikhail Fokin, the result revealed his extraordinary sense of the dramatic. And when it was premiered at the Paris Opera in June 1910, it was an immediate success. The next ballet score, the musically more progressive Petrushka, followed a year later. And both these works unite music, dance and design in ways not seen before in ballet. Then, in 1913, came The Rite of Spring. Stravinsky's radical new music and Vaslav Nijinsky's controversial new dance style shook all those who came into contact with it. And The Rite continues to challenge audiences and choreographers even today. With the outbreak of the First World War, Stravinsky and his family found themselves exiled in Switzerland. It was there that he produced some of his most explicitly Russian works, including the ballets Renard and Lenos, The Wedding. Then, with his return to Paris in 1920, came a very different work for Diaghilev's Russian ballet company, Pulcinella, choreographed by Leonid Massin and designed by Pablo Picasso. Its music is derived from 18th-century Italian sources and marked a new so-called neoclassical departure for Stravinsky, which he continued to explore for the remainder of his life. Here's the well-known opening movement of Pulcinella, Stravinsky's take on the music of Domenico Gallo. Stravinsky's most powerful and productive association was with the dancer and choreographer George Balanchine, with whom he made many important works in both Europe and America, often on ancient classical themes, including Apollo, Jeux de Cartes, Orpheus and Agon. Balanchine later went on to choreograph other of Stravinsky's works for his New York City Ballet Company, including pieces not originally intended as ballets at all, such as the Scherzo alla Russe, the Violin Concerto, and Movements for Piano and Orchestra. The ritualistic and the rhythmic in so much of Stravinsky's music means it's strongly predisposed to dance interpretation. 
Stravinsky also produced many arrangements of his ballet music, bringing them to life in the concert hall as well as on stage. He made a lucrative career conducting the Firebird Suite around the world, and his very last podium appearance took place in May 1967 in Toronto with a performance of the Pulcinella Suite. The love affair between Stravinsky and choreographers is ongoing and continues to straddle the worlds of classical and contemporary dance. The Rite of Spring, in particular, has inspired an extraordinary renewal in contemporary dance, with exciting versions from the likes of Massine and Bejao, Macmillan, Bausch and Akram Khan. Even in 2020, as the world descended into lockdown as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, a moving and powerful version of the Rite, under the title Dancing at Dusk, was streamed worldwide by a specially assembled company of 38 dancers from 14 different African countries interpreting Pina Bausch's Rite on a beach in Senegal. Somehow, as the sun went down, it uncannily captured the sense of the tragedy of that moment. While Stravinsky's music for the ballet punctuated his entire creative life, it wasn't the only kind of dramatic music that interested him. Indeed, one might go so far as to say that nearly all his works have some sort of ritualistic or theatrical dimension. His music is never merely incidental, rather it's always fully integrated, such that the theatre springs from the music as much as the other way round. This should be of little surprise, since he grew up surrounded by theatre music. His father, Fyodor, was a famed principal bass at the Imperial Opera in St. Petersburg, now known as the Mariinsky, where he sang all the major roles. And the young Igor spent much time studying these scores in his father's extensive library. This experience culminated, one might argue, in his only full-length opera, The Rake's Progress, which seems almost to engage with the entirety of operatic history. It's a playful piece of theatre that critiques the forms and gestures of the past while remaining accessible in its espousal of simple structures, arching melodies and compelling drama. Listen to The Woods Are Green, the opening trio of the opera, where echoes of the music of Mozart are clear to hear. Stravinsky explored opera of all shapes and sizes, from the early Nightingale, based on a Hans Christian Andersen tale, via his one-act comic opera Mavra, a joyful story of love and deception after Pushkin, to his late experiment in TV opera The Flood. Oedipus Rex, a powerful retelling of Sophocles, is a formalised work that defines its hybrid nature as an opera oratorio. And through Stravinsky's engagement with Russian folklore, he was able to create a new kind of small-scale music theatre that's proved highly influential on post-Second World War composers, composers such as Bertwistel, Cargill, Ligeti, Maxwell Davis and Weir. The Soldier's Tale, for example, incorporates the protagonist's violin into the very heart of the piece, 
while in Renard the singers are seated among the instrumentalists. Elsewhere, even in works that have no obvious theatrical motivation, Stravinsky's sense of the dramatic and the ritualistic is always evident. The juxtaposition of starkly contrasting musical ideas in the symphonies of wind instruments takes on a ceremonial aspect. It could almost be a piece of abstract church music. Even late in Stravinsky's composing life, such rituals find echoes in works like the contemplative mass and the austerely beautiful A Sermon, A Narrative and A Prayer. From Firebird to his last works, Stravinsky's instinct for theatre never left him. And we close this podcast with the moving Apotheosis from the end of the ballet Apollo, where Apollo himself leads the muses towards Parnassus with a music that is simultaneously triumphal and melancholic. <laughs>